Good morning. Welcome to Northminster Church this morning on this uh, rather warm July morning, if you can believe it. It is actually July. So glad that you were here, and whether you were joining us in person or online, know that your presence is appreciated. I want to say a special word of welcome to anyone who's visiting with us today. We are particularly glad that you are here. And if you would, please fill out the attendance registry that is uh, on the aisle side of your row. Pass that down. We will not show up at your house, I promise, but we do like to have a record of who's worshiping with us today. And if you could do your best to make that legible, uh, Renee would definitely appreciate it. A few announcements for you this morning. Um, Sorry, hang on. As I drop my papers. This is a busy week in the life of the church. Uh, As I think most of you know, this coming Friday, we will celebrate the life of our Uh, beloved Pastor Emeritus Walton Gaddy, um, and there's quite a bit of preparation to be done around that service. If I have reached out to you about helping with one of the many aspects of that service, or if you would be willing to lend a hand, we're going to meet in my office after worship just to talk about what needs to be done, where everybody needs to be, those sorts of details. So if you are willing to lend a hand, uh, we will meet in my office for just a few minutes after worship. Also after worship is a time of fellowship out in the narthex, so I hope you'll stick around for that, get to know each other, have some conversation and a little something to snack on. Also, uh, after Welton service, which is Friday, uh, there will be a repast um, at the home of Craig and DH, and everyone is invited to that. Uh, The dictionary definition of repast is a meal together. In the context of a celebration of a life, it is a time to eat together, share stories, share Thanksgiving, and to share our grief. The luncheon is being catered. However, we will be asking volunteers to help with welcoming, serving, and other sort of logistical concerns. So, if you have any questions about that, see me after the service. Also, you will notice the beautiful floral arrangement this morning. Robert did this one for us. Uh, This is in honor and memory of Dr. Gaddy. And when the service is over, as is our custom, if you would like to take some of those flowers with you to brighten your day or somebody else's, please do so. It is quite, quite lovely. And now before we continue in our worship service, Turner, would you come give us our moment for mission, please? Our mission uh, for Northminster for the month of July is the Children's Coalition of Northeast Louisiana. And um, this is an organization many of you are already quite familiar with, but it is committed to to, um, providing for the needs of the communities that it serves. It's been around since 1997, 26 years, and their mission is to provide communities where children and families thrive. Uh, They serve over 12 parishes. They have over 11,000 children that they are able to assist annually, and they offer over 20 programs. They have four major areas of focus, early childhood, parenting education, healthy living, and youth development. On the whole, their belief 
empowers strategies for children and all of their many influencers, be they uh, caregivers, educators, parents, grandparents, daycare workers, babysitters, they are working constantly with these many influencers through the education that they have designed to help all of us understand the growth and development stages of children from their infancy through their adolescence. Um, they also enable caregivers to model and teach new skills and behaviors that contribute to that vitally needed healthy sense of self-worth in all children and provide us with the skills that uh, enable us to help with that safety, stability, and the many opportunities that children need. Um, our specific needs for the month uh, are targeted to the early childhood focus, specifically the early Head Start program. Those needs are listed in the bulletin and our newsletter and our mission trunk is ready to receive those items. Thank you. Thank you, Turner. We often talk at Northminster about being uh, a last chance church. People come here when you couldn't go somewhere else. You come here when you thought you'd given up on church. Um, I've said this to you before, I will say it again. I describe Northminster as the island of misfit toys. Um, we tend to be the black sheep around here, or the rainbow sheep, or the polka dotted sheep, whatever works best for you. But this is a place where you can come and you can be yourself, whatever self you are. So I want you to remember that this morning as we worship together. And I'm going to ask that you take a deep breath. We take this deep breath because we are not good at pausing. We are not good at allowing our brains and our hearts and our bodies to catch up to one another throughout our week. So take a deep breath. Close your eyes if that's helpful. As you breathe in, breathe in the joy of being surrounded by people who love you just as you are. As you breathe out, breathe out your to-do list, breathe out travel plans, breathe out holiday plans that aren't finalized. Breathe in again. Know that God created you and loves you just as you are in this moment. And then if you would, please join me in our call to worship. In the beauty of this moment, in the fellowship of your people, we you. in the presence of your spirit, we you. in the company of all creation, we you. creator, creator, friend, advocate.
Did you want me to take this now? Okay. Hello, friends. How are we today? Good. Can we play a little game? Okay. Here's, here's what you got to do, though. You got to listen really carefully, and you need to keep your hands to yourselves. Can we do that? Okay. We're going to play Simon Says. Ready? Simon Says, pat your head. Simon Says, touch your nose. Simon says, put both your hands on your knees. Now stand up. Oh, Simon didn't say. All right, so back down. Simon says, give me a thumbs up. Now get up and run all the way around the church. No, 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 no. Simon didn't say, did Simon? You did a really good job. Thank you for playing. Here is why we did that. I'm really glad I was not able to trick all of you into running around the church, in part because it is really hot outside, and in part because that's not how the game works, right? Simon has to say. So, I was joking. I was trying to trick you. So, today's uh, gospel, or sorry, not gospel lesson, Bible lesson is kind of a different sort of story that you might not have heard before. And there are people in it who have kind of weird names. Let me tell you these people's names. There's a king named Nebuchadnezzar. I know, can you say that, Nebuchadnezzar? Pretty close, pretty close. And then three more men who have also have funny sounding names. The first one is Shadrach, can you say that? Shadrach, Meshach. And Abednego. Abednego. There you go. You got it that time. It's kind of a weird name, isn't it? So what happens in the story is the king tries to get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to do something they don't want to do. Kind of like when I tried to get you guys to go run around the church. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. That's not the right thing to do. And the king got really, really angry. And you know what he does? He throws them into a fire. Yeah. You've heard the story before? It's kind of a weird story. And they are still alive. That's the really cool part about the story. The three guys who get thrown into the fire, they survive. Well, not Jesus. Jesus isn't in the story, but God is there to help them. Yeah, God is there to help them. And they stand up for what's right. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego stand up for what's right, even though it's kind of a scary (laughs) thing to do, right? If someone said, you need to go do this, I'm going to throw you in a fire, would you be a little afraid? Yeah, probably. So that's what I want you to think about today. I don't think anyone is ever going to try to throw you in a fire. But there are times in our lives that we are supposed to do the right thing. It's really hard. Those are, that, yeah, those are flames, you're right. Have you ever had a situation where you're supposed to do the right thing and it was really hard? Or you're supposed to follow the rules and it was really hard? And yeah, and it might have been easier to not follow the rules? Yeah, we've all been there, even the grown-ups have been there. But that's part of being Christians, that's part of being like Jesus, is trying our best even when it's really, really hard to do the right thing. You're not always going to get it right, but the point is you keep trying. Does that make sense? A little bit? Okay. 
You would jump over the fire? Yeah, that's a good idea. All right, now, yes, we all want to live. That is a good thing. Now, turn around and face the congregation. Hands to yourselves in your laps, please, sitting on your bottom. All the way around, Ricky. Thank you, ma'am. We will say our prayer. I will say the first line. You say it back to me nice and loud. Adults, you're welcome to join in. I see the face of God in you. I see the face of God in you. The love of Christ comes shining through. The love of Christ comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. And I am blessed to be with you. O holy child of God. Amen. You can go back to your seats now. Thank you. reading from Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar made a golden statue whose height was 60 cubits and whose width was six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent for all the officials of the provinces to assemble and come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. So all the officials of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. When they were standing before the statue, the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble, you are to fall down and worship the golden statue that the king has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, as soon as they all heard the sound of the entire music ensemble, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden statue. 
Accordingly, at this time, certain Chaldeans came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the musical ensemble shall fall down and worship the golden statue, and whoever does not shall be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men pay no heed to you, O king. They do not serve your gods, and they do not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him, so they brought those men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true that you do not serve my gods and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the musical ensemble, you should fall down and worship the statue. But if you do not, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? The beginning of a fiery story of faith. Let's pray together. Merciful God, the gift of Jesus' life in us is visible in the way we witness to the faithfulness of that gift. We know that the fruit of the Spirit consists of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yet so often we put conditions on our love and joy and peace are difficult to discern when our words and actions deny their presence. By desiring instant results to the most, most things these days, Lord, we confess that we forget what it's like to be patient. We find ourselves neglecting the needs of others because we run out of time to be kind to ourselves and to others. When we persistently make self-centered decisions rather than Christ-centered ones, our understanding of your goodness and faithfulness is weakened and our discipleship lacks credibility. In this aggressive world, it is easy to believe that you can't get anywhere by exercising a spirit of gentleness or even self-control. But gracious and merciful God, we know differently. So grant us your forgiveness and your love so that we may truly care for one another. Refresh and renew us with the Holy Spirit, so that we are fruitful and vital disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen.
a reading from Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with rage that his face was distorted. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than was customary and ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So the men were bound, still wearing their tunics, their trousers, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was so overheated, the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the furnace of blazing fire. King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up quickly. He said to his counselors, was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? They answered the king, true, O king. He replied, but I see four men unbound walking in the middle of the fire and they are not hurt. And the fourth has the appearance of a God. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and said, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. So they came out from the fire and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their tunics were not scorched, and not even the smell of the fire came from them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. They disobeyed the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that utter, utters blasphemy against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other god who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. The conclusion of a fiery story of God's sheltering presence. Thanks be to God. So my summer preaching schedule has changed a bit, and this week and next week I will be uh, preaching over texts that don't get preached that often. This is, of course, one of them. Uh, next week will be one from the book of Acts, in which a gentleman is listening to Paul preach, falls out of the window and dies. Um, not one that is often in the lectionary. But if you dislike this story, blame Craig Henry, because he asked for this one. No, I'm just teasing. We did talk about the fact that this does not get preached very often, but I think this is a story you will enjoy as we get into it. Now let's pray together. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may we hear a word from you today. Amen. 
Hi, we're with ACT UP. We're doing an act of civil disobedience. Please remain calm. This is a quote from a documentary called How to Survive a Plague, which chronicles the grassroots organization ACT UP, that stands for AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, as they work to address the AIDS epidemic, specifically in New York City, but all over the country, in the 1980s and 1990s. That quote, specifically, is from an interaction at Deachi Pharmaceutical Company's American headquarters, which act up blockades in the documentary. They believed Deachi was dragging their feet on releasing a drug that would not only help people with AIDS, but also those fighting breast cancer. And this was one of many times that uh, ACT UP engaged in civil disobedience and nonviolent protest. Other similar actions highlighted in the documentary include uh, protesting during a Catholic worship service to oppose the church's ban on condoms. The church was saying that that was not uh, a helpful way to avoid HIV and AIDS. They also highlight a march in Washington, D.C that ended with the ashes of people who had died of AIDS being thrown onto the White House lawn. The hope was to get then-President George H.W. Bush to get his attention so that he would do more to fight the epidemic. Now, if you think these measures sound extreme, let, re let me remind you that by 1990, over 100,000 people had died of AIDS, and that's probably not everyone who had died. Mark could probably tell us. Let me remind you that the bodies of people who died of AIDS in hospitals were often put into black plastic trash bags by those hospitals. Food trays were left outside patients' doors so the medical staff wouldn't have to enter their rooms. And for several years in New York, those medical personnel who were willing to work for and care for AIDS patients did so on a voluntary basis, outside of their normal working hours. Let me remind you, if you think those actions are too extreme, that in 1982, President Ronald Reagan's press secretary, his name was Larry Speaks, laughed when a reporter asked if the president was tracking the spread of AIDS. It was then called the gay plague. The press secretary then became verbally combative with the reporter who asked the question, snapping back while the entire press room laughed, I don't have it, do you? Do you? You didn't answer my question. How do you know you don't have it? President Reagan didn't publicly utter the term AIDS until 1985. And by then, over 12,000 Americans had died of the disease. If you think ACT UP, and their activists went too far. Let me remind you that Reverend Jerry Falwell, founding pastor of Thomas Road Baptist Church and founder of the Moral Majority, said on multiple occasions that AIDS was the price paid for violating the laws of God. More specifically, in 1983, Falwell said this, AIDS is not just God's punishment for homosexuals, it is God's punishment for the society that tolerates homosexuals. Suffragettes fighting for women's right to vote in Great Britain and in this country. Rosa Parks' bus boycott in 1955. Gandhi's salt march in 1930. The March for Jobs and Freedom, a.k.a. the March on Washington in 1963. Tiananmen Square protest in 1989. The Little Rock Nine. 
freedom riders, the Vietnamese Buddhist monk who self-immolated in the middle of Saigon, in the middle of an intersection in June 1963 to protest the persecution of his fellow Buddhists by the, Southern, the South Vietnam government, the Stonewall riots in 1969, the Women's March in 2017, Time's Up and Black Lives Matter protests of the past few years. This is just a handful of examples of civil disobedience that people have found necessary in the past hundred years. And though some might argue that a few of these examples shouldn't be compared because they've been politicized or boiled down to little more than violent riots, I would remind us all that oppression doesn't end because the oppressed ask nicely to have the foot removed from their necks. Equality is not accomplished when those in power feel magnanimous enough to share a little bit of their influence. And as I said to the kids, standing up for what's right, being firm in your beliefs, rarely comes without a cost. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego learned this final lesson the hard way and firsthand in today's passage from Daniel. Now, just by a show of hands, how many of you are familiar with this story? We've heard this one before. Okay, more than I thought. And how many of you have heard it preached before? Couple? Okay. I ask because, um, as I said, this week and next week, we're going to be exploring texts that aren't usually preached on. And while I understand why uh, these texts are usually not covered, at least next week's, I'm not entirely clear on why this one isn't, because it's a really good story. Now, here are the necessary uh, things you need to know for the context of this passage. The book of Daniel is one of the minor prophets of the Hebrew Bible. And remember, minor has nothing to do with the importance of the book. It has to do with the length. And the book of Daniel contains two distinct parts. Stories of Jews living in exile in Babylon and apocalyptic visions shown to the title character. Now, despite not appearing in our verses, the prophet Daniel is depicted as a young, wise, and pious Jew whose prophetic abilities are recognized by even the Babylonians. And though set during the Babylonian exile, which was 586 to 538 BCE, uh, the book wasn't written down until around 400 years later. Now, it's possible that the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego circulated as an independent oral legend and was incorporated into Daniel, into the narrative uh, of Daniel later. We don't know for sure, but they share thematic similarities. So it could be one of the reasons it was included. Now, we don't know much about the background of this book, but what we do know is it is, interested in present, it is not interested in presenting an historical account of the exile. In fact, the book of Daniel contains several historical inaccuracies, not the least of which is that the Babylonians did not force their religion on other people. And yet forcing his religion on others is exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar is doing after building this gargantuan statue. Now, based on the measurements and cubits uh, that is given to us within the text, scholars have estimated that this monstrosity was about 90 feet by 9, so very, very tall and thin. It was likely shaped like an obelisk. Think the uh, Washington Monument in Washington, D.C. 
similar sort of shape, and it was made entirely of gold. As one commentator described it, this statue would have provided spectators with an impression that it was piercing the sky. It would have dazzled from far and near, and it flaunted the splendor of the empire. Said another way, this statue is King Nebuchadnezzar's power made tangible and put on full display. It is his ego and ability to get and do whatever he wants in the shape of an obelisk. But this is not enough for the king. So to drive home his glorious reign, he dispatches an empire-wide call. Come, come and be awed by the statue. The royal edict goes out to summon everyone in the realm, and this long list of dignitaries is compelled to participate and paying homage to the king's image. Now, this command is for everyone. And arguably, Nebuchadnezzar does this to unify the empire, but noncompliance will be fatal. So, as theologian Reinhold Niebuhr once wrote, obedience is prompted by the feat of power on one hand and by reverence to majesty on the other. And... As we find out, as Nebuchadnezzar wants it, so he shall have it, except for this pesky Jewish resistance. For in the midst of this empire-wide command, in the midst of this pomp and circumstance, in the midst of this circus, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand out because they miss the ceremony. Now, this is a, a particularly a slap in the king's face because these three men had been given government positions just a chapter ahead of this morning's story. So not only are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego accused of sedition, the king is in an absolute rage. As you can imagine, angering the person with all the power and control is dangerous to your health. But the king's rage isn't just at being defied but also because his judgment is brought into question. This is likely why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have two charges levied at them by the king. One is religious, you do not serve my gods, that's in verse 14, and one political, they refuse the king's command, and that amounts to treason. Given a final chance to do as commanded, the three men still refuse. They know there's no way out, Nebuchadnezzar has made that clear, and yet they will not worship his idol. His rage increased by their continued refusal. The king commands the furnace be heated seven times hotter than is normal, and that the three men be bound. I don't know if you heard it, but the furnace is so hot, it kills the king's executioners right before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fall into the fire. Now, surely... Surely these men will be incinerated, but as you heard, the king is amazed to look into the flames and not see three men, but four, walking around unbound and unscathed. Nebuchadnezzar is amazed and calls the men out of the fire. Notice only the original three come back out. And when he sees that they are not burned and their clothes don't even smell of fire or smoke, he praises God, and then he promotes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, most people in the story there, amazed at the three men's faithfulness and their impact on this pagan king, but I think y'all know me well enough by now to know that I want to pick at this story a little bit more. 
there are some threads here that need to be unknotted. So the first thread to unknot is this. If you were taught that the fourth, fourth person in this fire was Jesus, stop it. <laughs> Do not read Jesus into stories where he doesn't belong. We don't know who the fourth figure was. Good arguments exist for it being God or an angel, particularly because at this time in the Jewish faith, angels were becoming a much more common belief. It was not Jesus. Second, if you're tempted to see Nebuchadnezzar with sympathy at the end of this story, stop that too. His actions don't indicate a change of heart or growth as a person. He isn't any less a tyrant than he was before the men went into the furnace. As commentator Daniel L. Smith Christopher writes, this entire chapter is about a particular kind of pride that comes from a system that derives its prestige and power for the suffering of others. In short, it is the unique pride of the wealthy and powerful. Who else can erect golden monuments? Finally, and perhaps most importantly, the thread to unknot is seeing this story as an example for us to follow when it comes to our own faithfulness. And I want you to hear me really clearly. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their faith is incredible. It is exemplary, but that is not the final point of the chapter. The deepest source of amazement in this story is God's faithfulness to the men. Even the king says in verse 29, no other God is able to deliver in this way. Nebuchadnezzar is amazed by God. Looking into the fire, he is undone. He had sought total control. He had unleashed all his destructive powers. But at the end, he lost control. God succeeds. Nebuchadnezzar fails. So this is not a story about being faithful so God will protect you. It's not about a transactional relationship between God and people. God is not a vending machine into which we insert our faithfulness and out comes the reward we were seeking. In the midst of persecution, the persecuted don't usually have some sort of formula. And while we should always trust in God, we should never presume upon God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego aren't saved from the fire solely because of their remarkable faith, although it is admirable. They are saved because of God's remarkable faithfulness to them. In the midst of this civil disobedience, this nonviolent protest, this refusal to compromise their beliefs, God not only saves three lives, God disrupts Nebuchadnezzar's center. My friends, the good news this morning is that God is faithful. God is faithful particularly in moments of civil disobedience, particularly in situations of oppression, particularly for those societies, for those society tries to make illegal, shove back in the closet, keep out of pulpits, or make second-class citizens. This is because God stands with the oppressed. God is on the side of those who suffer. God sees those the rest of us overlook. And as with King Nebuchadnezzar, God challenges and disrupts those who would hold absolute power over others. The most telling part of this story is that all it takes to unravel Nebuchadnezzar's claim of complete power is the resolute refusal of these three people from the margins. 
These three people from the margins who refused to accept his claim as reality. Instead, they replace his claims, not with their own assertions of power, but rather with the statement that Yahweh is God. So rather than using this weird little story as a measuring stick for our own faith, because we'll never meet it, let's instead see this as a story of God's abundant faithfulness and love for humanity. Let's see it as the model it provides to oppression, which is a stubborn refusal not to be afraid. And let's allow this story to inspire us to the reconciliation of both the oppressed and the oppressor. For though such work is difficult, for though such work takes a lot of time, it is through such work that the world is reoriented toward God. Pentecost season, we recognize the God whose divine lungs exhaled the spirit into our world. God's breath, the wind, the ruach in Hebrew continues to transform our world. Before the earth was formed, the spirit of God swirled through voids and shadows. As humans were created, the air of God filled the lungs of Adam and the soul of Eve. This divine air continues to fill us up when our bones are dry and our spirits are sluggish. Now, this is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. This is Christ's table. We are the guest and Christ is the host. And there is a seat here with your name on it. So kick off your walking shoes and make yourself comfortable. We are on holy ground. All are wanted and all are welcomed here with our doubts, our shortcomings, our failures, our griefs. No matter what you bring with you to this table, you aren't just tolerated, you are overwhelmingly welcomed and wanted. Thanks be to God for a love like that. 
And now if you would, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The night before Jesus died was a solemn time around the table. Because of his relentless pursuit of love, Jesus would be seized by those in power, but before he was taken, Jesus introduced this meal to his followers. For even though he knew the end was coming, Jesus joined with those he loved. And as the night lengthened, he took a simple portion of bread. He blessed it. He broke it. And he shared it with the disciples, saying, Remember me. And then after supper, Jesus picked up a cup. And as he poured it, he blessed it, saying to the disciples that he would go to the ends of the earth out of love for them. And then later, after the resurrection, Jesus sat with the disciples on a beach sharing a meal. They celebrated new life, new hope, new vitality. And in this Pentecost season, as we come to this table, let us celebrate the spirit of resurrection and the promise of a needed second wind in our own lives. Amen.
And now hear this benediction. May God bless you with the distaste for superficial worship so that you will live deep within your soul. May God bless you with anger at prejudice so that you will work for justice. May God bless you with tears for those who sorrow so that you will offer comfort. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world. Go be salty. Amen.